0: Hey, Mary's Mary's tapping her watch, which is, I don't know, I guess you decide whether, if Mary is standing in the back like this, is it the law or the gospel? You decide, okay? Pure gospel. Kind of like that sign at the Grand Canyon, Mary? Yeah, that's the one, okay. Um, Here we go, here we go. Misericordia Domini, the tender heart of Jesus, right? All right, um, and then Jubilate, so here we are already three in. O Lord God Almighty, who every year renews the face of the earth, and whose will it is to bring this fallen world back to you, grant, we beg you, that we discern in your Son the dawning of true life, and in him share in his new creation, who lives and reigns with you, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Amen. All right, good to see you all. Thanks for coming out uh, in this little bit of the variegated schedule of May. May is busier than Christmas and Easter for pastors. It probably is for you as well. There's always something cooking. So a couple things to think about. Um, Offerings to Lori Wilbert. Uh, She does prison ministry, ministry for the Northern Illinois District. She goes places where you and I would fear to tread, and she's been doing it for years. She goes into the toughest prisons in Illinois and does catechesis and uh, teaches, you know, regular things, GED kind of stuff. She's a remarkable woman. She's been doing this for many, many years. So St. John uh, favors her and um, give generously to her. She's, in our, she's one of the very few line items we have in our budget in terms of uh, missions that we actually designate, and here we go, we're going to do that. So that's good. Uh, let's see. This week, oh, well every day is Mother's Day, but particularly next week is Mother's Day. Just a little heads up for you on the other side of that transaction. You might want to pay small attention to this. Elders, I'm sure, we're, I don't know what we're doing, but I can guarantee you we're not meeting next week. So um, <laughs> there's no point in tempting fate. So uh, And then the week after is a voters meeting. So this week, next week, and then voters meeting, and then... Uh, the holiday weekend, and then off we go. So, questions about anything? So I wanna, we want to finish up in the next two weeks with your prayers. Hold on to this outline. It, we won't get through it all today, but I want to try to bundle you up and urge you. So we've been, you know, with the initial impetus to pray, and then we've been through the discipline of Lent, which I hope was a positive for you. And I want to say again to you that it's very nice to be in a place where the disciplines are assumed, Now, you might expect a big finish, but um, Sun Tzu didn't expect a big finish, right? So there he is, The Art of War, which is good reading for every young pastor. Uh, I'm serious, actually. When your enemy advances, retreat. When your enemy retreats, advance. Victorious warriors win first and then go to war, while defeated warriors go to war first and then seek to win, right? So in prayer... And, um, you know, I don't have, I have a mild distaste for the notion of prayer warriors um, because it has this sense of some people are better prayers than others. Jesus listens to people, some people more than others. And it also has the notion, although maybe this is untrue and I'd be willing to be corrected, this notion of spurts. Oh, there's a crisis and now we need to pray. Well, I want to work through some texts for the next couple of weeks that would suggest to you that really your prayer life is quite different than that, which is your prayer life is really a matter of discipline and of ever being prepared as opposed to reaction when things go horribly, horribly wrong. You already know things are going to go horribly, horribly wrong. And so day by day, you sort of build up the discipline of prayer, and then we're all in it together, and the Lord responds to that, and stronger we get. And when we die, then it passes on to the next people. This is very different than always being so nervous and hoping, you know, say your prayers, do your work, here we go. So um, just the, the reminder, number one, our world still has some sense that we're involved in spiritual warfare. You remember six weeks ago or so I gave you this thing about, written by a lawyer, I think a Yale lawyer, about his engagement with paganism, how paganism was the new cool kid thing. Uh, on Wall Street. Well, there you go. So we still have this sense that we're involved in spiritual warfare. Turn the page. St. Paul tells you very clearly what we're up against. We're going to start with this text. We're going to talk about it just a little bit. We're going to come back to it next week, but at least this way. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares about you. It's one thing that we desperately forget. He cares about us before we care. He loves us before we love. He listens before we pray. He gives before we ask. This is where we started, remember, all those months ago? Casting your anxiety to him because he cares about you. Be so reminded. be watchful. Your adversary, or which I'll say in a moment, your automatic adversary, Luther, he baptizes a kid, looks up and says to the congregation, we didn't do this kid any favors. So you baptize somebody, you put a target on them. Their life's going to get miserable. You know that I really don't like you very much if I ask you to be on the governing board and really, really don't like you if you're an elder because you know the Lord is coming for you and um, your life's going to get miserable before it gets better because your automatic adversary the devil prowls around like a lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith knowing that the same kinds of normal suffering This is just normal Christian suffering or being experienced by your brothers and sisters throughout the world. And then after you've suffered a little while, and how long will that be? It'll be roughly the amount of and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It'll be about that long, just so you know. It'll be like, you know, it'll be like, uh, you know, dry-aged beef for 13 weeks. It'll be like a nice, um, it'll be like a nice pinot. You know, when it comes of age, then you will enjoy it. When you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who's called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself, he will, restore you, confirm you, strengthen you, establish so. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, throughout this time, we've talked a lot about suffering. We've suffered on the account of other people. We've suffered ourselves. We've suffered on account of our kids. we suffered on account of our parents. We've suffered because people don't come to church. We suffer because we've been attacked. We're suffered because we've become, uh, we live in a post-Christian culture. I don't know if you saw over the weekend, this is stuff you don't see unless you really poke around, but the BBC, of all things, the BBC put out an article that basically said persecution of Christians has reached genocidal levels throughout the world. This is not being reported People should pay attention to this, and if it was anybody else, people would pay attention to this. The BBC says, because the media is so politically correct, these things are not reported. That's a remarkable thing coming from, you know, what's basically almost an arm of the British government. It's remarkable stuff. You know, when you talk about there's maybe a few hundred thousand um, Christians left in Iraq, for example. It used to be millions, of course. So, you know, this is normal life. This is, this is the life we have. We'll need to be careful. Now, if you want to rebel against all that, how would you do that? The first step, as in all things, is humility. Because the first sin in all things is pride. There's only one sin, and it's pride. And there's only one cure, and that's humility. Unfortunately, when it says humble yourselves, and I checked around a couple of places... Um, You know, I was disappointed in the translations because it's a passive verb, which means somebody else does it to you or something else does it to you. So if we tell you to all be really humble, this is really bad because chasing humility is a loser's game. Humility is one of those things we have to aim over here if you want to aim more. Can you make a bowling ball curve? Sure. It's like that. Humility is like that, although I must say you're a bit proud of your curving bowling ball. But... (laughs) I mean, that said, if you want to hit that, you have to aim over here when it comes to humility. Okay, how does that do that? Because um, it's a couple of things. One is it's a passive verb, and two, it's under the hand of God. So if there's any weight that God puts on you, it doesn't, you know, is it like this, or is it like this, or is it like this that he forms you? Well, or is it all of those things? In any case... It is the hand of God that forms you in humility. But how does that happen? And at the bottom of the page, then, you see this formula I've tried to give you over and over again. It works like this. It always works like this. Memory, gratitude, dependence, and humility. So you remember all the good that's been done to you. You realize you're not self-sufficient. For that, you're grateful. In fact, you realize that you are utterly dependent, that you are nothing but given to that you have nothing, that you are nothing, and your only hope is um, from outside you, that God would come to you. And when you realize that, when you realize that you're wholly dependent on someone else, this then is humility. And the joy of it is you can relax into the arms of God. If you turn the page, I just give you one of many psalms that starts and ends with the notion that you should remember. And I've often said to you that memory is a synonym of faith. In the scriptures, to remember is to have faith, to forget is to have unfaith, right? When you go into the promised land, roughly Deuteronomy 9, when you go into the promised land and you live in houses that you didn't build and you eat crops that you didn't plant, right? Don't think that it was by the might of your hand that all this happened, but I'm the Lord your God. We always take credit for work that's not our own. Look at this, Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul. I gave you just some bold bits so you can see it. Everything bless His holy name. We talked about the name, so you know you can't get to God directly, but He's mediated through His name. Now look, verse two. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and remember. Don't forget His benefits. Don't forget. Just go with the bold. The one who forgives, the one who heals, the one who redeems, the one who crowns, the one who satisfies you with all good. Don't forget, don't forget the Lord works righteousness and justice. You know the things that you really want. There's nothing our world wants more right now than justice. The only problem is the source is wrong, it's a prideful source, it's us. He made his ways known, he revealed himself, he comes and gives himself to Moses, he acts on behalf of his people, because he's merciful and he's gracious and he's slow to anger and he abounds in love. So, remember the Lord, who doesn't know his child, who keeps his anger, who doesn't deal with us according to our sins, who doesn't repay us according to our iniquities. And now the refrain again to love. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his... Patient, ongoing, consistent, always available, always being directed at you, open your hands and receive it, love. So great is steadfast love toward those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so does he remove his transgressions from us. That's going to be important later when Satan begins to accuse you. As a father loves his children, so the Lord loves us. Right? As a father loves his children is compassionate, so the Lord loves us. Why? Because he remembers. So it starts with saying, you remember. Why do you remember? Because the Lord remembers. So you're mimicking what the Lord does. Memory is faithfulness. Memory is love. Memory is anti-pride. Memory is humility. The Lord remembers that we are dust. We don't live very long. We're like grass. We're like flowers. The wind blows, suddenly we're gone. The next person takes our place. Nobody's irreplaceable. But love, that's everything from everlasting to everlasting. Right? And those who fear him, to those who keep his covenant, remember, so there it is, right? It started by saying remember, now it ends by saying remember, and memory is the stuff of God. Remember, 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 and this is what your life will be like. God's established a throne in heaven, and someday, as you heard in the epistle, he'll pull you up into that throne. Till now, you have to be satisfied that your prayers make heaven smell good. So the epistle today, your prayers today made heaven smell good. The saints have a harp in one hand and a bowl of incense in the other, but the incense is your prayers. So bless the Lord, you angels. Bless the Lord, you hosts. Bless the Lord, everyone. Bless the Lord, my soul. This is the simple key to humility. Memory is the key to humility. And in every case, when you are beset by pride, it's because you've lost your memory. Okay? It's just as simple as that. So if you want to be humble, you don't aim at humility. You aim at memory. You begin to let God do the verbs. You recite all the things that God has given you. This place, this Holy Eucharist, your Holy Baptism, your family, your friends, you know, your life in this place. This community, this spot in the world, which all, you know, is there a safer place in the world than Wheaton, Illinois? Come on, right? We are the most privileged of all people, and so there should be an unlimited amount of good that we should be able to affect in this world. Let's go, right? But part of that, and maybe the place where we come up shortest, uh, is our prayers. Because it doesn't appeal to us naturally. We don't always see the end. Right? Like so many things in the church, we don't get to see the end of our things. We pray and we want instantaneous results. Right, Sometimes we can't let go, and so we say our prayers and we can't be happy with that's enough. Remember that great thing where the old man comes to Jesus, and Jesus bathes him in heaven and rubs him with oil, and then says, go over there and pray. Part of the reason of keeping the discipline of your prayers of particular hours You know, nine and noon and three, is because when you've said them, then you're done. Go over there and play. And you don't have to feel guilty about not having done enough. You simply do it. Every time you come to church and you say your prayers this morning, this happens even for pastors at the altar. There are some days you're completely dialed in, there are some days you are all over the place. This usually happens for me when a child rushes the altar, for example, or, uh, you know, so the microphones go crazy, or I look up and there's no organist. What's happened, right? So, you know, this is, so, you know, these kinds of things. Say your prayers, go about your business, okay? And then you can live without anxiety. You know, point number three, it is really, we've talked about this a couple of times. I gave you the example of the young NBA players, um, Articles and all the studies being done on them now, because they're so anxious in a way that players a generation ago were not. But also, in general, if you just sort of keep up, anxiety is um, um, social anxiety and uh, personal anxiety uh, across the spectrum, and uh, is really it's the new diagnosis of things. You know, of course, whether it's all true or not. Um, you know, we you know, everything, including psychiatric care, runs in cycles. Uh, So it's kind of a new thing. And, you know, it's true in some some sense. And um, people do feel anxious. It is sort of how you come to it. Um, But there's a long article yesterday in the Wall Street Journal by a psychiatrist. Any of you read that? Kind of inside the back page. One of the things he talked about was the difference of how we treat PTSD in America and in Israel. So he said, let's just kind of assume that Soldiers seen the same horrible things in both wars, right? They have the same engagements, and they have the same sort of tools. He said in America, it's like he was critical psychiatrist. He says, psychiatrists say to people who have PTSD, you're wounded, and you'll never get better. You'll be disabled the rest of your life. We'll try to care for you. You've had a horrible thing, and that's the end of things. He said in Israel, they say, you've seen a horrible thing. This is normal, and you are normal. Of course you've been wounded. And so they they take them immediately out of the battlefield. They say, you need to rest with people for a couple of weeks. And then when we put you back in with your unit, don't worry, you'll be fine. Very interesting approach, right? Setting expectations and giving care. And, you know, PTSD in America is off the charts. In Israel, kind of same kind of group with same sort of foibles, quite low. You tell me. Right, So a lot of our anxiety has to do with social expectation. Not always, and I'm not diminishing this in any way. But how we engage things makes a difference. So Paul knows this. So he says, you know, cast your anxieties on Christ. Now, a couple of things about this. Um, really, the word here is just, to, of course, sort of stack things up. So if you can think about Jesus as, you know, this table where you take the things that worry you and you just put them there. And you let him worry about the stack. So you can just imagine kind of the spiritual discipline of this, right? This is one of the things that happens in prayer. Things come to mind. You start to get nervous. We talked about this years ago. When we talked about the connection between meditation or contemplation and prayer. And what happens is, is that you have all kinds of random thoughts. All sorts of things come to you. And um, we even have the English phrase, we entertain our thoughts, right? I am entertain a thought. It's kind of an interesting way to, but if you can take your thoughts that come to you randomly and you could move them over here into this room, put them on this table, and then sort of let them be, because once you give them away, of course, they're not yours anymore. We started with this, right? You're in the royal family, God listens to you, and when you appeal to the king, the problem is no longer yours. So basically, you're not not asked to be superhuman. What you're asked to do is notice the things that are troubling you and then just put them over here. It'd be a bit proud if you thought that you could um, manage all your things by yourself. So you humble yourself by remembering all the gifts that God has given you. You remind yourself that the God who took care of you Yesterday and last week and last month and through your life, stands by you also today in this trouble. You remember that Jesus says things like, "Take up my burden; it's light. My way is easy. My yoke is light. My way is easy." Right? So that Jesus wants to trade his troubles for your troubles, which are really no troubles at all. Paul saying the exact I'm sorry, Peter saying exactly the same thing here that you would um, take your anxieties and you would stack them up on top of Jesus. It's also an interesting use of the word for for anxiety, and it actually kind of makes sense. You know, St. Augustine had this notion that sin was the fracture of all things. And when everything's together and whole and perfect, that's God. And when everything is fractured and alone, scattered, that's hell. Very interesting that Peter speaks the same way. So you think about the things that maybe seem broken inside you or broken off outside you, the things that are distracting you here and there. That's what anxiety is according to Peter. These things that keep you from being a whole person or a whole community. So you have a look at these things and you say, "Um, that's not good for us, we'll have to set that one over here. You might just um, give that a try as you work through your week. I don't exactly know exactly what your anxiety level is. If you live in Wheaton, there's um, Park District training to hide your ills and all your troubles from other places. You can all sign up for it and get it. You pay for it with your taxes, right? The Wheaton veneer that everybody is okay all the time about everything. It's not that helpful. Um, It's more helpful if you would... Stack your problems on Jesus because He cares about you, and He's very, very willing to help. Pause. You okay? Questions about any of that? Yes, please. Judy O'Neill, you're a nice woman. Stack one of your anxieties. Do you keep praying for it? Something that's not going to see the end of the Yeah day. Um, it Yeah, so the question is, you know, if you stack something today and it comes back tomorrow, what do you do there? It's not, not unlike the catechism where Luther says, you get up in the morning and your first act of the day is to commit murder, right? Remember, he says, you take your old Adam and you hold him under the, till, he, till he's, he's unconscious in the font. Then you go about your business. Remember, he says, say the Lord's Prayer, say the Creed and sing a song and go about your business. You wake up the next morning, and he's there again, right? But you're smarter the second day. You know that he can actually be drowned. You know that you can actually handle it, and you know that you can actually have joy. So if you're saying your prayers at 6 and 9 and noon and 3 and 7, you know that you'll get after him on a regular basis or morning and night or at the morning Eucharist. And it it takes the anxiety away from... So if you can imagine the thing with the anxiety sucked out of it, so here's this thing, I'm ill, I have a relative who's out of his mind, um, my job's on the line, pick something, right? Uh, praying actually sort of sucks the anxiety it'll still be there tomorrow. Let's say the problem is your husband. Like, and if you don't reach over tonight and put a pillow over his head, he'll be there in the morning. So there's a couple of ways you can solve this problem. My suggestion is that you go with the prayer rather than the pillow. That'd be my, you know. So, yes, of course things recur, but they don't have to recur with the same sort of tenacity, right? And the other thing that will happen is you'll find out that you'll just get sick of it yourself. This is a little like praying for an enemy. Like you think of somebody that you hate and you pray for them. Like 47 days in, you're sick of thinking about them, and they never come to mind again. Guess what? You're cured, right? It works in a backhanded way. You think that you're going to get some divine you know, vindication that comes in the way of lightning bolts. No, you're just like, that's out of mind now. And then at some point, two years from now, you'll be able to sort of laugh about that. And, of course, humor is the cure. God has a great sense of humor, right? This, we could have a whole other day about what's wrong with America, but one of the problems is we don't laugh at anything anymore. So everybody's a grump, you know. Does that make sense? Keep the discipline. When it comes back, keep the discipline. And if it comes back again, you keep the discipline. And at some point, you'll wake up and say what Luther said to Satan when he came to the foot of his bed, and he woke up, and he's like, ah, it's just you again. he rolls over and goes back to sleep, right? Good. Question about anything else? Oh, we do. Yes. What about, like, when your anxieties require action? Like if it was like related to like work or school or something and you need to like act on it, how do you cast your anxiety when you need to deal with it? Good. Um, so that's a, that's a, the, the great thing about the question is how well formed it is. Uh, we're going to do another, um, uh, we're going to, a little bit later, we're going to go through this checklist about be sober, be vigilant, all these things, right? So one thing for you is just to be able to say, this is a problem that makes me anxious too. This is this kind of problem. So it's a difference if you have a problem at work it's different than having a problem with him, for example, right? <laughs> so, so some things are more difficult to solve. So uh, <laughs> you, you, you sort of, uh, so you could have rationally evaluate the process and of course you remember you know, we've kind of talked about this too. All these things should be coming together now. Do you remember you don't possess the Holy Spirit. He's bigger than you, but you pray for the Holy Spirit to come to you every day. So you pray for the Holy Spirit to come to you. Among the things that the Holy Spirit does for you after he forgives you is, allows you to see clearly, hear clearly, think clearly, right? So intellect and will and reason are all redeemed, as Luther would say. And now you can make a reasonable choice. And, you know, you're young, so if I... You, I'd talk to Mrs. Heck before you make any big choice, because she's been around the block, okay? And you know, there's a couple of people over there. You, might, Mrs. Nyquist is a nice woman, but I think she's teaches Sunday school. So you know, the, so that you have all these advantages of a sort, of almost a punch list that you go through. And now you can have coffee with Judy because when you both have worked your punch list, go over there and play, right? But what what happens is we have this sense that we. Are, and how we talk about it. My anxiety overwhelms me, right? We talk about this. I'm drowning. This is not at all how the text talks at all, right? The text talks, post-Easter, the text talks about how you're all in control, and can't you remember this? Jesus is risen. Like, this defines our life together. So, if you can kind of flip the script in that way, and think of yourself as, Luther says, cemented to Jesus in the Eucharist. So, Here's your choice. You can see Satan on your own, or you can see Satan cemented to Jesus. In the first part, it's a bit scary. On the second part, it's not scary at all. We've already seen this movie, right? But the way you identify the anxiety and proceed in humility with um, kind of a forgiven, baptized brain, you'll be fine, right? But because we don't, say, we don't say these steps out loud, we just say a prayer and hope it's all going to work out. Yeah, that's not how the world works. So, anyway, thank you. Anybody else? Questions about this stuff? You have more resources than you know, and prayer is among them. You should be saying your prayers even if you don't think you need to be saying your prayers. Right? Because at some point you will. All right, I'm just kind of at point four. Am I skipping anybody? Y'all good? I'm just kind of at point four. So you should say, this kind of goes just with what you said, the Lord gives you prayer to protect yourself from the devil, right? And the details, I'm turning the page to number five, are spelled out in Ephesians 6. This will, I think, this text, upset your, not your, upset the common notion of prayer as going on the offensive. To be honest with you, Um, Prayer is quite the opposite in normal cases. We normally think about our prayer, we define our prayer as, you know, forward we go. Let's just read the text to see what happens, okay? Be strong in the Lord, in the strength of his might, You don't go alone. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now, one of the things I want you to realize here, often the text says stand. Because we always think that our prayers are this off charge, right? right? Even churches do this. Char- we- or your kids get off the road. You know, or pick something, your husband, your wife, your job, you know, whatever, the world. Yeah, just watch that you may be able to stand against the schemes. Hey, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. This is rulers and authorities and cosmic powers and darkness, spiritual forces. These are all different ways of talking about demonic angels, right? Different ranks of angels, this is where it comes from. Different powers, different abilities. So we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, principalities, powers, principalities, against the cosmic powers of the present darkness against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So there's this war going on that doesn't end until the last day. These are the players, and um, it's bigger than you. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. So now put on, take up, take up the whole armor of God, put on. Notice it comes from outside you, so we'll have to come back to that. That you may be able to stand, withstand in the evil day, and having done that, stand firm, Stand. So four times in a row, what's the primary thing you're supposed to do? Stand still. What does that possibly mean? Stand, having fastened the belt of truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness, shoes for your feet. Put on the gospel of peace. Take up. So take up and put on, become interchangeable. You're getting dressed, actually. We'll come back to this. In the circumstance, take up the shield of faith (coughs) with which you can extinguish the darts of the evil one faith, we'll come back to that, it'll be very important, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, here you go, praying at all times, so in a regular disciplined way, right, with all prayer and supplication, and keep alert, which means to stay awake, which means to stay disciplined, which means to do your job, which is to have regularity and discipline and obedience, all these things that are have to do with vigilance to stand awake will come to this. With perseverance, make supplication. So pray. Stand and pray, stand and pray, stand and pray. For the saints, so pray for the church. For me, pray for your friends. That words may be given to me, and my mouth may proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador of chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Now to figure this out, you got to know about the Roman army, Right? So the Roman army conquered the world. But the big news wasn't that they conquered it. It's that they held it for six or 700 years. This is a remarkable feat. It's a remarkable feat for anybody to hold the world for centuries, right? Turn the page. In that army, there are two kinds of soldiers. And this is very important. There are conquerors and there are holders. There are marines and there are sentries. There are forward troops who advance And there are people who stand firm, right? So you have these glorious people who just keep going, over the next hill, whatever they find, just keep going. And those were often um, the younger folks who, you know, there's a reason we send 18 year olds to war because they don't think they'll die, right? People my age are like, are you out of your mind? You know, (laughs) negotiate. So you have these Marines who are kind of the you know they're the front edge, Um, but then there are sentries who um, may find their work a little bit boring. And you may have found you know this year a little bit boring talking about prayer. You may find your own prayers. You might get sick of yourself or sick of praying. Yeah, okay, but the stakes are high. We'll talk about this in a moment. So there are people who conquer and there are people who hold. By and large, you are people who do a lot of standing but not a lot of fighting. The normal course of a Christian is to stand. Stand firm, stand still, stand boringly in your place, right? But you should know um, that you are terribly important because if you fail, the whole church, uh, you'll take the church down with you. So a sentry did a lot of standing, not a lot of fighting. They were engaged with the enemy as a last resort and only if their guard post was attacked. This has, you know, you, you can hear little rumblings of vocation, where there's station and vocation. Station is where God puts you. Vocation is what you do, right? So there are four watches in the night. Um, 6 a.m., I'm sorry, 3 a.m., 6 a.m., um, I'm sorry, 9 p.m., midnight, 3 a.m., 6 a.m. So if you start in the nighttime, 9, midnight, 3, 6. Uh, Normally, attacks came uh, in the early morning where people were the tiredest and most likely to fall asleep, kind of bored and off their guard. It's the sort of darkest before the dawn thing. And in the dark, your ears are the most valuable thing you've got. So not your sword, not your great courage, not your advancement, not rushing out into the darkness. You stand vigilantly, and you listen. Now, here's the thing. This is probably the thing that we're worst at. We live in a talking culture. You can talk on YouTube. You can talk on Insta. You can talk on Facebook. You can talk, talk, talk all the time. You can talk all day long. You can talk on... Everybody is talking. Everybody is broadcasting. But the most valuable thing is to listen. You remember that thing we ran by Henry Noun a few months ago? I've come to, like, among the margin comments, this for me is one of the most beautiful ones that listening is spiritual hospitality. You know that you're loved when somebody listens to you, you're lo- you love someone else by listening not by talking, right? So this notion of vigilance, you stand, you're well-rested, you're disciplined, you're obedient. You listen, you watch for what's changing in the world. And these are the things you tend. You tend the things in the world that are going absolutely haywire, but you watch for them, okay? Okay? In the dark, your ears are your most valuable asset, listening not only for what's happening, but what isn't happening. So stay awake, right, and be vigilant. And, of course, the worst crime for a century, if you have one job to do and that you should do it, your one job is to stand still and stay awake. Your one job is to listen. That's your one job. Do your one job. If you don't do your one job, you put everybody else at risk. If you don't do your one job, the penalty in the Roman army is execution. Because if you fall asleep, you've not only exposed all the other people with you, you've exposed the Roman Empire. And then, you know, at 700 years, they won't have it. So turn the page. And I'll just end with this, and I'll start with this next week. This is what I've said to you over and over and over and over and over again this year. That... You don't need to find enemies. They'll come to you. We've talked about this with your kids. We've talked about this with your family. We've talked about this with your friends. We've talked about people who stop coming to church and how you engage them. So often the prescription is you're going to go straighten them out. Right? Your success rate at straightening people out is minuscule. What's the advice of the scriptures? The advice of the scriptures is to pray for them and have no enemies. We just got the list of enemies. Powers, principalities, evil spirits, darkness. Didn't include your kid who doesn't go to church. Your aunt who is so mean to you. Your in-laws, your husband, your wife, the next door neighbor who dumps his trash over the fence. right? The people who park in your spot. It doesn't, and all the people, you, it, powers and pers- it's the very first thing. It's the, you know, the margin comment, the welcome is brilliant from David Skeyer today. The hardest and maybe only thing that you need to do is love your enemies. How do you love your enemies? You pray for them. And don't worry, um, trouble's going to find you. Trouble's going to find you. And maybe this is where we'll start next week. That unclean spirits live from the very thing that will destroy them. Just kind of for next week, just think about the whole notion of Holy Week and Satan putting Jesus onto the cross, rooting for that to happen, helping Judas, going into the hearts of um, Pharisees and Sadducees and Sanhedrin. And one man must die for the people. What could be more reasonable than that? And then everything reverses at Good Friday, right? So just kind of think about this. We'll kind of finish this up next week, but the point is that you, um, in your prayers, this the, the, is kind of, you know, it's kind of almost sounds silly to say it. The most important thing about praying is to pray. Right? You can buy, you go to the story, there's a thousand books to read on prayer. It's actually in, intimidating the number of things that are in prayer. But the most important thing is to pray from a sense of helplessness, to pray from a sense of humility, to pray from a sense of memory, to pray as if you're not at point number one. You're not even at point number two. Your neighbor lives there. You're point number three at best. The most important thing about praying is praying. And then it's the Lord's business after that. After you stack up your troubles and you bless him for all the good he's done, you get up and you go out into the world and you live in freedom and in joy. And come what may you're in God's hands. It's a remarkable life. If only, only we would do it, right? And part of it is that this is your gift, right? Now you know. If you don't know, now you know. Just checking. Biggie, No? Nothing. Okay, never mind then. Just, we'll have to listen together. So you know that this is like, you know the first thing that Pastor Nelson said about the new vicar is, he said, this is great. I'm warming up the 90s hip-hop. Do you know this? that Pastor, To make a human being out of vicars, Pastor Nelson gives them a playlist of 90s hip-hop. <laughs> Cypress Hill, you don't know this? A little bit of Tupac, only God can save me now. Oh, there's so much you don't know about the vicarage program, but we got to go to church, all right? Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay, cheers. Love you. See you.